So Mark Clements here with 225 Magazine. I'm over at uh, Miss Julia Hurricane Hawkins' house. Uh, not the prettiest day, but man, this house is, is absolutely beautiful. And we've been here for a little while. Uh, Miss Julia has told a countless number of stories about pet monkeys and, and Pearl Harbor and build, building this house. Um, so I'm not even sure where to begin with you. Um, I guess I just want to start with, uh, I mean, obviously 100 years old, 101 years old now. Um, so tell us when when is uh, your official birthday? Because I know you had a little bit of discrepancy on a couple on a couple dates. Well, I always celebrated the tenth because my daddy's birthday was the tenth. And when we got to when mother got to the hospital and I was born, she said to the doctor, "It's almost the tenth. It's the ninth. Can you fix it for the tenth? And he said, "Oh, sure." So, but he forgot to do it, and we thought he did it. And so, when we later looked at, a, at one of the birthday certificates, we saw he had put the ninth. So legally, I'm the ninth, and but my family and I celebrate the tenth. And I went to the hospital on my birthday, my thirtieth birthday, to have my first child, and he he came. On, on the 11th, we didn't try to fix that. We cel- we celebrated the 11th for him, but that was the best birthday present I ever had. And what year were you born? I was born in 1916. So you've seen you've seen quite a few things in your, in your lifetime. I know you're from Wisconsin and then moved to Louisiana shortly after that. Um, what, what what was the story about you guys coming to Louisiana? One that is a good story. My I had an uncle who was driving a boat around Lake Geneva in Wisconsin, which is the resort area of Chicago. The Wrigley chewing gum people had a home on that lake, and I remember, and my uncle would go around the lake delivering mail and packages and things, and they decided they had a little money come in because my father sold his business and we, they decided to come down to Louisiana and start a new business. And they, we came by boat. We got the boat into the, Chicago uh, by, a, uh, I think they had it on a trailer or something, and then got it in the Mississippi River. And we came all the way down to Morgan City, Louisiana. We stopped in Baton Rouge, and we do have a picture taken sitting in front of the old state capitol and I was only a few months old and I had a brother that was a little older and that my aunt and uncle there were two couples my parents and my aunt and uncle and they had a a young son who was a little older than my brother so there were three children on the boat and it took a couple of months to come but anyway we got to Louisiana that way And we eventually got to Ponchatoula, where my parents had a summer resort on the Tanchapaho River. And they called it Ponchatoula Beach. And most of the people that came were from New Orleans or Baton Rouge. A lot of locals came, but more more that came were from New Orleans. And I got to, it was fun being there because every Sunday, which was when the main people would come, you never knew who all would might come, and I met so many interesting people. A lot of the kids that 
with their families would come, and they'd come a lot. They'd come and spend a week a lot of times, and a couple of them stayed longer than that. One man, boy, had asthma, and he stayed all summer, and he loved to fish, so he was in heaven because it was good fishing on the Tanchapo River. Big bass and catfish and brim and all kinds of good things. But it was a wonderful place to grow up. And then I went to LSU the year that I was before, the year I was a senior. My brother and cousin were at college at LSU. And we didn't have any money coming in because it was the Depression. And so what we did was come to Baton Rouge and rent a house and take my brother and my cousin to stay with us. And they got a couple of friends so we were able to, to to make enough to live on there, and I went to Baton Rouge High and graduated. So, what, so when I got to LSU, I knew a lot of Baton Rouge people from high school, and that helped me in a new place. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the first day of LSU, your church invites you to a party, and my husband and I were both Episcopalians, And he was from New Orleans, and I was from Ponchatoula. And we met that night at the party, and I went home and wrote about that in my diary. And I still have my diary. (laughs) So backtrack just a little bit. I want to get to that story about you meeting your husband, and then, of course, you all building this home that that we're in now. Um, But just, I mean, the vast majority of our readers and, and listeners have no idea what life was like during the Great Depression. What, what, just what can you tell us about what, what it was like, especially uh, here in Baton Rouge? Well, what was so bad, I was in Ponchatoula the, at the main part of it, and it started in 29, and I went to college in 34. Went to, let's see, yeah, that's right, 34, and uh, finished high school in 34, but the banks closed and and money there was no money coming in it was in the winter and we only made money in the summer mainly people would come and stay in our cabins and in our hotel rooms and pay to go rent boats and go swimming and all those things but nobody did that in the winter so we had to make enough in three months for the whole year or three or four months and when no money was coming in, there was it was just desperate times. I remember not having enough money to mail a letter. Two cents it was back then. So it was hard, hard. Everybody was, you know, in the same boat. So, you know, you were lucky. We had a cow and we had chickens, but we didn't ever have a garden because it was too sandy where we were on the riverbank there. But we did everything we could. We had pigs and turkeys, things like that. But we had to buy a lot of things. We lived on beans and rice and stuff like that. But anyway, it was hard in those days. And so you you were telling the story about how you met your husband at the the party, the church party. Was it one of those, uh, was was it love at first sight? Did you know he was he was the one when you met him? I, I sort of did. He was so clever and so smart. He was really smart. And he was good looking. He was six foot two and he was blonde and 
beautiful hair, but at this time he had a, his head was shaved, and he had on one of these LSU hats, though, that covered it, so you weren't aware about the shaved head so much. But pretty soon after a few weeks, his hair come, came in, and it came in curling, and he was just so cute. <laughs> so I knew, and we actually went together eight years before we finally got married because of the war, and he had his first job out of college, and he got a Ph.D., I mean a master's in physics, a B.A. in chemistry and a master's in physics. And he got hired by an oil company to work in their office. But if he hadn't been successful in their office, he would have been sent to South America to work on one of their drilling rigs down there or something. And he, they couldn't afford to send families, so it, they had a no marriage clause with the job. They could do that then. And I even remember when teachers couldn't get married, women teachers, they had to hide it if they got married. But anyway, they, they, the, the market for jobs was in their hands and you had to take it or leave it. So when he was working for an oil company, I was teaching school in Honduras one year. I taught in Donaldsonville and Brule and Honduras and Ponchatoula. I taught all around and enjoyed it. I had a wonderful time teaching. I loved the kids, and they seemed to get along with me good. So we had a fun time together. In fact, one of my classes in Ponchatoula, I invited them out to the beach because we had the facilities, all of them to spend the weekend, 32 of them. They had to have permission from their parents, and we went swimming and boating and did a wonderful time. And each of them brought some food because it was still, I couldn't have afforded to feed all of them for the weekend, but everybody brought something. And we had it as a class project, how much each one would bring in arithmetic, and okay, you're $5.50, and <laughs> you know, things like that. But we had a wonderful time, and life was good, and I've written my life story, and it's cost, called, it's been, what do I have it? Oh, there it is. It's been, um, um, Wondrous. Wondrous. <laughs> I keep wanting to say, uh, kids today say it's awesome, so when I try to <laughs> say it's wondrous, I get caught up in awesome, but it's been wondrous, and I've, uh, enjoyed every minute of my 70 years of marriage. Can you tell us, and you, know, you told me uh, a little bit earlier, but the, the story of y'all having to get married over the phone and, and the reasons behind that and kind of how that, whole, that how, how that whole thing unfolded. Well, he, he was working in, in Hawaii for the, for the Navy as a civilian working for the Navy. And they went around to different businesses in the States looking for people with a master's in physics or a PhD or whatever they could get. And they um, hired a whole bunch and they came to Washington and they sent them out to different places. And my husband got sent to Hawaii and he had been there a year already when the, when the uh, bombing took place on that Sunday morning. 
and I was out fishing with his father at that morning and somebody came to the edge of the river and called out to us and said, oh, Pearl Harbor's been bombed. And of course, we knew that things were getting bad, but we, this was a shell shock to us. And uh, not right away, but a while afterwards, he still worked in Hawaii for the, for the Navy, and pretty soon they gave him a commission in the Navy and said they would, uh, and pretty soon they wanted to send him straight out. And he was planning to come in for a, to get married, and because they wanted him out there, we got married by telephone. That was something they were doing out there because so many people were far from home and so much had happened. <laughs> so he got a little worried that there might be somebody in the meantime, and he'd been gone. He'd been gone one year by then, and then by the time he got back home to get a new ship, it had been another year. So it was two years we hadn't been married, but hadn't seen each other. How do, you, how do you even keep in touch or, or you know, keep the love going in two years? Oh, I wanted to tell you about that. I've got an absolute box full, trunk full of letters. He was a wonderful letter writer, and I did a pretty good job of keeping him informed, too. Mm -hmm. But he would write the kind of letters that not just said what he was doing and everything, but what he was feeling and what he was reading and what he was listening to music and so actually, some of the letters were 10 pages long, for instance. And lately, I reread all of them and talk about a wondrous thing to do. It made me feel young again because there was such a young tone in the letters I was reading. And if he's young, I'm young too. So it made us relive all of that for a while. How often would you say y'all were able to write back and forth? How, you know, how often would you receive a letter from him and then be able to write back? Sometimes I wouldn't hear for a week, and sometimes I'd get three or four at a time. Mm -hmm. He wrote almost every day. He was good good about it. And then what year did he move back to Louisiana? And then I know you were telling, talking about how y'all built this home kind of from scratch. What, what year did all that happen, and how was that process? Well, he got hired eventually to to go to Maryland, Solomon's Island, Maryland, to be head of a, of a mine warfare test station, I think it was called, on the Patuxent River near the, on the, yeah, the Patuxent River near the, um, can't think what it's near, uh -huh. but anyway, where it goes into the water there. And it was a wonderful place to be. We just had more fun there. We got wonderful oysters and and fish and crabs and and we also found all sorts of fossils. There's one area along the river there that they call scientists cliffs and they only let scientists buy property there. And one reason is because there is such good fossil hunting. Sharks' teeth, great big ones, and all kinds of other things that are fascinating. And also what they did, they tonged for oysters with great big tongs, they were called, T-O-N-G-S. And that, that was the only way they could do oysters then. So and these were schooners that had sails. 
and they were so picturesque. It was a wonderful place. And I got pregnant for my first son there and came back home pregnant. And the main thing we had to do when we got back was to find a job for him. And he, um, he went to talk to people in different, oh, he thought of teaching high school, but he didn't have a teacher's certificate. Mm -hmm. He couldn't even, with all the degrees he had, he couldn't teach school. So he got a job in, New, in Baton Rouge at Ethel Corporation. He worked for them for a year. And then he got offered a job at LSU to teach petroleum engineering, which he had worked for an oil company. And then the, the job at, um, where did I say he worked? Ethel. Ethel. <laughs> he, he learned a lot about the oil business there. So he had a lot to do once he got the job. He roused about it and roughnecked to a summer each one. He sat in on classes, he read books, he got so that he was uh, was a petroleum engineer by the time he'd been there a little while. And he and the head of the department, who got to be very good friends, wrote a book on reservoir engineering, which is a petroleum mm -hmm. thing. And uh, that book is still considered the Bible in the oil business, and it is still being published and still a big hit with everybody. So I am, and he too, were proud of that. And the Department of Petroleum Engineering at LSU has been named for the two of them. It's the Kraft and Hawkins Petroleum Engineering Department. So that's something I'm pleased about. Mm -hmm. But one thing back in there, while he was gone, and while the war was just starting, or already started, I can't remember, uh, two big things happened to us. And one of them was um, an army maneuvered near us with thousands of fellows in it. And the officers came, came and asked us if they could come in and bathe in the river. So we told them, sure, and they were there for about two weeks, 10 days or two weeks, and we got school buses to come at night and bring girls in from all over the parish. And there were dances every night, and there were, when they would come in to eat, to go bathing, they would buy everything in sight. They'd be so hungry after they'd swum and been all day working out. Mm -hmm. So we, um, we did really well while they were there and we'd had a big mortgage on the house because we'd tried to run it as a business all year and it didn't work at that time. It was too far to come just to dance and have supper. Right. So, um, and I had my brother that was a little older than I was that came down the river with us. He uh, was running it and it didn't work. And so he joined the, the Air Force and went off to war. And uh, when this happened, we were able to pay off the mortgage. <laughs> so we were very proud. We called it the miracle of the Army. 
And then also one year, because the people who had money and, and tires and gas and everything to come on weekends were not the class of people that we were used to having. And we didn't like it. So we closed it one summer, and I ran it as a girls' camp. And that was the hardest thing I ever did, but the most rewarding. It was a wonderful, it worked out so well, and we made as much money as we would have. And the kids had a wonderful time, and it, it was a thing that was needed right then. Kids that maybe usually went further, their parents thought it was better to keep them close at home, and some people that couldn't afford a far-off camp mm -hmm. could come to ours, which was close. And we weren't as expensive as going to one of the ones in Tennessee or North Carolina or somewhere. And we had a wonderful staff, and, and I, I directed it and planned the activities, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so what, uh, when did you end up in, in Baton Rouge uh, with your husband and, and start building this home? Well, when we moved in, and we oh, we were talking about building the house ourselves. We lived in the faculty housing at L OLSU, offered him this job, gave us a place to live, and we moved in while the barracks were just being finished. So we gave us paint and nails, and we would finish up some of the work. And so it was a great thing, and there were so many other young couples that had the same experience we did. They were all about the same ages. And there were three or four children the age of our one son that we had then, same one the same day and several in the same month. So we had lots of play areas for them and had a good time. And my husband loved teaching. And he could come home for lunch, and he'd bring friends over, and we, we thought it was great. And then we realized towards the end of staying there, when we could only stay so long, we bought a, a lot in University Acres and uh, started working on our house. My husband didn't have exact plans exactly, but he, he knew what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. And... Uh, and he did it, and I helped. Sometimes he would be putting a board up on the ceiling, and I'd be on one ladder holding that board, one end of the board up, and he'd come up on the other end and nail that one, and then come over and nail mine. So we um, we did everything together. I helped by hauling water, and you know. And we had, by this time, we had another little boy, so we had two little boys. They were one and three when we were most of the time working, and by the time we moved in, they were two and four. And we um, moved in just as soon as we possibly could with only one big room in the back that was going to be three bedrooms, but it was just one right then. And the living room, dining room, and kitchen were the other half. And uh, we had, <laughs> were all floors for a while, just cement. But, but every weekend when we'd get a chance, or even nights, we'd uh, work on it some. We had nails and lumber in the hall, and you know. But it was, we were young, and it was fun, and we loved it, and loved the house, and the kids help when they got bigger and 
pretty soon we had four children, two more, this time girls, and uh, and they were, Lad was the first one, and he's 71 now, and then Warren, the next one, and he's uh, 69, I think, and then the next one's girl is 66, and then a 64, Ju Ju another Julia, mm -hmm. but we called her Juji, and she's a petroleum engineer, and Warren's a petroleum engineer, Lad's a landscape architect, and Margaret majored in English, and she's done all kind of literary things. She worked in Sewanee at the boarding school there and was in charge of entertainment and writing the magazine and taking care of visitors when they came and all that. I feel like I could, I could just talk to you for forever. You got a, a thousand stories you could tell me. Let's go a little bit into, uh, obviously you're in your, your running gear now that we, we, we put you in. Um, I don't even know where to begin with this. I, I know you started biking. You said you, were, you biked your whole life and you bought your first bike uh, for yourself after you got married. Um, you now hold the world record for a 101-year-old in the 100-yard dash. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, in the 50-yard. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to shortchange you. In the 50, in the 50 yard, um, what's sort of your uh, your athletic um, history? Were you always pretty active whenever you were younger? And and uh, I know you did a lot of biking. How did that begin? Well, I, when when the Senior Olympics first opened here, the first year I think that it started, I I had a couple of students that were in it. And I, my sister was interested in it, and a few other people I knew, so I decided I've been biking every day, and I loved it. I got neighbors that would bike with me. We, was, Our neighborhood was a good place for that. And we all were very active. I, we went on hikes all the time, and we were just, I worked in the yard constantly. The yard was my love, and I, always had a new flower bed to make or barter grass to put around or something, a new tree to plant. We have 50 kinds of trees in our yard. First they were almost all gums and now there are 50 kinds and some that have more than one of, of a kind. But it's been, um, what was the question? <laughs> um, just talking a little bit about your your athletic history. You know, you mentioned you're always you're always active. So I did do the biking in the Senior Olympics. I went to every state. You have to go to state to qualify, and then I went to four national uh, Senior Olympics. The first one was in San Antonio, and my husband and I drove there, and I. I really worked out hard to get ready for that. But it was kind of hilly, and I wasn't used to that. And I didn't have a good enough bike. So my son-in-law that was coming the next morning when the race would begin, got somebody to open the shop and get a bike, and he brought it to me that night. And I got on it that morning and rode. And I got a, a bronze medal, and I was so excited you'd have thought it was a gold one. But it was the first one, and I was first time to go to nationals, so to get a medal seemed a wonder. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And as I say, it was a little hilly, and I wasn't used to that. But I still, you know, got a medal, and I liked that. Mm -hmm. And then the next one was in Tucson, and I got two gold medals there in the 5K and the 10K. And then I went to Orlando. I wasn't much competition there. And then I went to Orlando for a national two years later, and I had a lot of competition there, good competition. And I got two gold medals there for the 5K and the 10K. And then it was in Baton Rouge the next two years, and there was not another girl in it anywhere near my age that time. And I did still get the two gold medals. Mm -hmm but it wasn't any fun to win without any competition at all. So I quit then. And that's when I went, I still biked a lot, but I didn't go to any more nationals. It was getting hard for us, we were getting old then, in our 90s, to do all you had. One, one year when we went to Tucson, my husband had to take the handlebars and the pedals off to put it in a box to put it on the airplane to go. And then he had to take them out, put them back on for the race, then take them off to put them in the box to come back home, and then to put them back on when we got back home. That's a lot of effort. Yeah. But my husband was good at, at all of that and seemed to enjoy it. He kept my bike going all the time, my tires pumped up and, you know, if you don't have somebody that's willing and able to do all that, it's a little dis discouraging for the rider. Mm -hmm. But he was always ready. So w when did you go from biking to, uh, to running? Well, that's an interesting story. I, my kids talked me into going to, to the Lake Charles State uh, Senior Olympics, and I... Um, and they said they signed me up for the biking and for the 50-yard dash, but I didn't have to do the 50-yard dash if I didn't want to. But I thought I'd try it, and I got when I got there and I did the, the biking and got my gold medal in that, and there wasn't anybody else in my age bracket, of course. And then in the running, there were two older women, not nearly as old as I was, but older. And we all ran together, and they beat me, of course, but I still had a pretty good time, and I fell in love with it. I thought it was the funnest thing, seeing all those older people, men and women, pole vaulting and high jumping and throwing the discus and all those things, as well as running. And the runners came not just from Louisiana, but they were from Texas and Mississippi and Arkansas and Alabama. They, came, they loved going to these tournaments, and so they would come and try their luck at all these places. So I loved that, and that made me eligible to go to nationals in Birmingham. So my kids signed me up for that again, said you don't have to go, but you can, and so I decided I would, and we, we had a, as well as going to that, we also had sort of a family reunion, and we rented a house on a lake in the outskirts of Birmingham, and all the children came with their spouses and my granddaughter and her grandson, my great-grandson, <laughs> were all there, mm -hmm. and as well as a 
one of the nephews of somebody and, and his brother and, and a friend. A friend, uh, one of the best things about getting to this, I didn't know how I was gonna get there. I didn't, you couldn't fly into Birmingham. You had to go somewhere else and then a small trip into Birmingham. And I was worried about driving because I, a long drive like that tires me out. And I needed to go a day ahead so I could rest a day. But a, a friend that lives in the neighborhood that's the age of my children that goes with me to bonsai classes uh, said he would take me. And he helped me get my shoes and he helped me figure out how to race a little. And so we jokingly called him my coach. <laughs> but he drove me to Birmingham and spent a a day with us at our cabin on the lake, and then he came back to Baton Rouge because he's an architect and has a job, and he's Tommy Campbell, and I've known his mother used to bike with me. We would, she was my best biking friend until she died, and it's kind of sad. Everybody I know, almost my age, is gone now, and it's so all my friends are younger. <laughs> Good friends, but right. a little, a little not not quite a hundred and one though. We can't talk old times with them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, but you still you still run pretty much every day, uh, even now. I do some active something. If I don't walk, I run. I, I mean, if I don't run, I take a long walk. I keep and I still ride my bike some, but I've kind of stop doing it while I've been running because you use different muscles and you might fall. I've had two accidents on my bike where I dislocated an elbow one time and got hit by a car another time. It was somebody driving out of their driveway and it wasn't a hard, bad accident, thank goodness, but it did bang me up in my bike up. Mm. And, uh, but I've, not doing that as much, but I'm getting back to it because I only have one other race I'm going to do, I think. And that's going to be the indoor track and field, USA track and field masters indoor track meet in Washington, D.C. in March, the 13th, 14th, and 15th, I think. And it's only 60 yards for indoor, so that'll be even better. Hundreds <laughs> kind of hard. 50-yard wasn't yeah. bad, and 60 won't be bad, but 100's kind of pushed my 101 self a little. Well, I'd add one more gold medal to your to your tally, too, if you do that, <laughs> right? Yes, I've got a good many medals. I gave one of my doctors a medal, and I said, for keeping me healthy, you deserve one. Well, I was I was going to ask since you know you are 101, most of us won't get to be that age. What if you have a, some some tips or a secret? What what did you do to 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 last this long and still? I mean, you're still going strong nowadays. Well, I didn't smoke or drink, and I lived a healthy life. I tried. My mother was heavy, part of her life, and I knew how she hated it. So I never wanted to be heavy. So whenever I got a little more than I wanted, I did something about it. I exercised at home or got a group of us together, to ex friends to exercise, or went to an exercise class one time. 
but I didn't want to tie myself down to something like that because my husband retired in 76, I think, or 77, and he liked to fish, and I liked to go with him. And any time he says, it looks like it's going to be a good day, let's go fishing. So I didn't want to be tied down to something, exercise class that met every Tuesday, and so we couldn't go fishing Tuesday. And it was a good day for Tuesday for fishing. So it, we did have a lot of fun. On the When we'd go out, we not only fished, but we bird watched, and we've got wildflowers, and we uh, got driftwood. Driftwood's something I just love, and we got beautiful driftwood. And several years, we collected driftwood for the Emory Smith Arboretum sale. They would have a plant sale, and we had driftwood at that. This is when Emory was still living, and he would come and sit in our booth with us and got a kick out of all of that. So we we made use of our driftwood. Yeah. We got several thousand dollars worth of money from driftwood for them every year. And one of the things you talk about driftwood, and I'm looking around your home, and you have you have flowers, and obviously your your garden and your bonsais and your trees. And one of the things that that people notice about you is you you always got a flower in your ear almost all the time, even even when you're running. Uh, I'm just kind of curious what the story behind that is and when that started and, and uh, you know why you still like to do it today. Well, I can remember doing it in college. There'd be a lot of azaleas, and when I'd pass them, I'd just fascinate with them, and I'd pick off one and hold it in my hand a while, and then I needed to use my hand for something, and I'd stick it behind my ear. And I knew that Hawaiian girls did it, and I thought, why should they have all the fun? And I still do it. And when I, when I wouldn't do it, people would say, where's your flower? I, we used to go to the Piccadilly a lot, my husband and I, for supper in the summer a lot. And I always had a flower then, it seemed like, and they always wanted me to have it. And I don't know where my husband got a kick out of it. He, sometimes he would put one behind his ear. Just, 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 just play along. Companionable, yes. But uh, one of the things I tell people about living old is, it's important to marry a good man, not just one you love, but one you like and admire, and and all those good things. He needs to be your best friend as well as your lover, mm -hmm. and that's what mine was for me. We. As I say, all those letters we wrote all that time, we were separated. So when we did get married, we were ready. Yeah. One time he didn't think he wanted children. And I didn't worry about that because I knew he'd change. And he did. When he wrote one of the letters, last ones from his Pearl Harbor place, the war anyway, he said he thought he wanted children and lots of them. So we had the four, which is lots, I think. <laughs> all right, Miss Julia, well, like I said, I could sit here all day, but I'm uh, I'm going to wrap it up and just say thank you so much for your time. I know people are going to love hearing the story. Uh, just your spirit, your personality, your energy is just um, so heartwarming and so much fun to, to be around. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. You're welcome. It was a pleasure.